Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. Welcome yet again to another call, another podcast of Two Developers Down Under. As per always, I am here with my incredibly effervescent partner in crime, Kai Koenig. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Mark. How are you? And I actually don't even know what that word even means you just used. Well, there's Google. You can look it up. It's okay. <laughs> okay, thanks a lot. That's fine. <laughs> After the call, you mean like what, what? What was Mark saying about me? I think I, I've, I've definitely decided. I think going forward, I'm going to come up with different adjectives to introduce you, and see what interesting. That will be very interesting. It's like it's going to be some sort of a word of the day thing for the foreigner, you know, having English yeah. as a second language. Awesome. So yeah. learn something. See how much alliteration I can giggled into yeah uh, all of a sudden doing those, those those podcasts becomes like a becomes a useful exercise for me sure why not let's go with that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so to um to kick things off in our normal fashion uh have you found anything particularly interesting that's happened on today the 6th of september yeah i have a few things that are reasonably interesting nothing super awesome though so in 1949 um, my, uh, you know, birth country was given back to, you know, itself by the Allies after, um, by the Allies after World War II. So that's one thing. And the other thing I found was in, um, where's that? Actually, I don't know. Here, in 1991, <laughs> the Soviet Union recognizes the independence of all the Baltic states which is also a quite interesting political thing. Okay, great. Wonderful. Um, oh, today was the uh, day that Princess Diana's funeral was held at Westminster Abbey. Oh, really? Wow. Yep. Um, and the only other thing I think I can find was that Swaziland gains independence, and that's only interesting because I like saying Swaziland. Just because you can it's Swaziland. Okay, yeah, fine. That's, that's fine. In 1968, it was, wasn't it? Uh, sure. Yes, yes, that is exactly correct. Yeah, I just know that fact, obviously, with my incredible knowledge of independence of small countries in Africa. Sure, why not? Great. So, <laughs> since it's nine o'clock in the evening your time, and I know you're in a rush because you know you have to go to sleep early because you need your beauty rest. Um. Let's oh. kick things off <laughs> and uh, get this show on the road. So we're here today with uh, four of our speakers for the CF Objective ANZ Plus Flex conference. Um, we can introduce each person uh, going in order of uh, going in order of what we have on the Google document. Uh, Mr. Diker, would you like to introduce yourself first, please? Hi, this is AJ Diker from Sydney, previously of Melbourne. Um, yeah, I've been, as my bio says, I've been doing Cold Fusion since 2005 when Robin Hilliard sort of inspired me to keep on going with the language. It seemed like a good idea at the time and I still think it's a good idea, contrary to popular belief. Um, so language isn't dead and all that. Uh, yeah, I've been spending a lot of time recently with Raylo, which is interesting and yeah making it all much more exciting again which is great so yeah that's the very cliff's notes of me wonderful uh, going down the page uh, mr mercer now i have to i have to call people by their last names because we do have andrew 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 and tanya <laughs> and, and two aj's <laughs> and two aj's at that so mr mercer how are you doing today and what give give the world a little spiel about yourself very well thanks mark 
Um, I'm in sunny Perth, just watching the sun set over the Swan River. It's quite pleasant here. Um, also a long time cold fusion developer, going back to like 96. Uh, been jumping a couple of jobs to keep ahead of the curve, keep back in my career with cold fusion. Uh, I was a cold fusion user group manager for five years in Perth, but now the Rilo community manager. So still heavily involved in the CFML community. Um, coming up for second time speaker. This is my third or second year at the conference. I think it's your third. Yeah, my third. Yeah, second, second at done two at WebDU, and this will be my third at CF Objective ANZ. So that's it in a nutshell. Cool. Thanks, AJ. And then we've got Andrew Myers, also from Sydney in Australia. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, hi everyone. Um, yeah, I'm Andrew Myers. Um, actually located in, in regional Australia, um, in the city of Tamworth. Um, I work for a company called Racing Information Services Enterprises, which is um, uh, an organisation that does a number of websites for the national, well, for the harness racing industry in Australia. Uh, they're all cold fusion based sites and uh, a number of them um, using Mira content management system, which is what I'm going to talk about in my presentation. Um, I've been a web developer for 11 years. Um, past six of those have been pretty much exclusively with cold fusion. Before that, I worked with Java and uh, I just love the, um, the elegance of cold fusion compared to the uh, complexity of Java and I really appreciate the language for the uh, for the good things it gives us I guess. Okay cool and then um, last but not least we've got Tanya who's actually funny enough sitting next to me because I'm currently in her apartment and we're doing this recording here. Tanya say hello. Hello. Do you want to introduce yourself maybe quickly yes. at all? <laughs> okay uh I'm currently a student and a freelancer. Um, I got a couple of years experience in Flex development and now I'm sort of getting into the web development in PHP, JavaScript, jQuery, that sort of thing. Cool. Um, I actually was um, just notified by Mark that I didn't mention your last name. So your last name is Tan is Gray, so you're Tanya Gray. And Mark should just send me a Skype comment. Oh, Tanya is so famous like Madonna. She doesn't even need that last name. It's just Tanya, you know? Well, that was, that, was, yeah. that was how you wrote it on the Google Doc. It's just Tanya. It's like everyone should know who Tanya is. I'm Tanya. But just see, you know, her, 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 Twitter, her Twitter account is Tanya. Obviously, that's her alias. Apparently, exactly. apparently so. Okay, so that's that's all pretty cool, and, and thank you very much to all of you for, for joining us today. Um, we're, we're excited to have you around. So, Tanya, I know you're uh, you're running off fairly quickly. I know you have have some more important things to do. I don't understand, but sure, let's go with that. Uh, exactly. Um, so, do you want to just uh, tell us what you're going to be talking about at CF Objective, and and maybe give us a very very quick synopsis, and then we'll ask you some hard and pressing questions. Sounds like fun. Well, the plan is to talk about Sentra Touch and developing um, mobile applications using um, JavaScript. And I haven't actually done any yet, so this is going to be very exciting. Bit of a switch over from jQuery into proper, proper app development. Uh, I have yet to actually plan the talks, so 
I'm not sure what questions you can ask me. <laughs> I'll be making everything up. So, uh, out of curiosity, what what made you decide that you wanted to talk on Censure's Touch? Obviously, there's there's a few JavaScript mobile frameworks that uh, you could have been looking at, but was there a particular reason why you looked particularly at that? Um, I've heard a lot of good things. <laughs> Everybody I ask sort of votes that one at the top, so I thought I'd go with that as a start. I think, actually, when you look at what's available in terms of... Um in terms of mobile web development frameworks, what would we be basically looking at? I mean, we would look at Center Touch, jQuery Mobile. Is there anything else really that people? It, now, Center Touch is an extension of EXT, I think. Is that what yeah, it is? Or, right. Okay, so there's no there's no specific thing that's actually EXT. I mean, I don't know this area very well, so feel free to correct me. Dojo, uh, EXT pretty cool tool as well. Just for EXT the web. Yeah, EXTJS is a web framework basically. If I, you know, know that yeah. correctly, I hope I do. Um, and the company behind EXTJS, I think they run the framework in a in a dual licensing scheme, isn't it? Like JPL, and um, you have to license it commercially for certain undertakings, basically. Um, and I think a similar model applies to Sentia Touch. I think it has a dual licensing scheme, and basically some things. Um, you know, you can use it for, under GPL for some open source um, purposes, um, and for some other things you need to license it. Obviously, that sounds right from what I've seen. Sounds good. So, have you got? Um, obviously, we we haven't really got a synopsis on the website yet, and so now I can publicly give you grief about that. Um, <laughs> but uh, are you thinking maybe you'll? Build an application, or take people through how it works. What's uh, what sort of your thoughts on what you might be uh, might be showing people when they come to your presentation? Uh, yeah, it'll probably be a really basic introduction to building something in the UI. Um, I understand there's going to be a lot of Cold Fusion developers being CF objective, <laughs> so uh, it'll be designed for backend gigs. But you you have basically worked with ColdFusion before, haven't you? In one of your previous previous jobs. Mm. So you consider yourself to be a, a flex <laughs> JavaScript UI developer with some ColdFusion knowledge, right? I wouldn't claim that. <laughs> Maybe. So can, can we expect some of the backend code and the examples you use for your mobile app to be built in ColdFusion? Maybe. Just wondering in general. That's a request, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not, a, not an official request. It's just like a question, a leading, guiding question. It is a distinct possibility. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's I think it's a distinct possibility that Kai could possibly help you with some of that. Yes. Yeah, probably that you know might might be one of the options. Not too. to not to volunteer, <laughs> Kai, for that. Are. No, <laughs> no, I would never do that. Never, never, not at all. Unheard of. Exactly. So, but quickly coming back to those mobile frameworks, I mean, when you look at those, it seems to me, at least, that basically jQuery Mobile, JQ Touch, and Sencha Touch are the three leading ones, realistically. Um, is Sencha Touch actually providing anything for app development? So, no one is answering even my question. So, people... Feel free to ignore me. Since Tanya's dropped out, apparently. 
Tony there? No, I think we lost Tanya's uh, connecting. laptop. Technical difficulties. Oh, here we go. Uh -huh, I'm back. You're back. <laughs> oh, Tanya's back. Awesome. <laughs> that is weird, given we share the same internet connection. Bizarre. Um, so, yeah, looking at those mobile web frameworks, those seem to, seem to be the, the major ones. And then you have, obviously, PhoneGap, which is sort of, you know, a different thing, which allows you to bundle to bundle your application or your web application to become a, mo uh, a mobile app you can deploy on phones. Gojo got a pretty neat setup as well. For mobile? Oh, okay. Yeah. I, didn't, I, I wasn't even aware of that they're, that they're doing anything in the mobile space with Dojo. Yeah. And it's really, um, really hitting the tablets as well. They've got some nice interfaces that suited the iPad sort of style of development with the um, sliding planes. I couldn't find in jQuery mobile. Mm, okay, very interesting. interesting. So, is this now? This is an interesting question. So, is this more for building mobile versions of websites, or is this more for building applications that could then be ported, you know, both on Android and iPhone and any other number of places? Is that a question to the general audience? Oh, Tanya, which which side of the coin are you going to do? You plan on looking at, or you don't know at this stage? Oh, sorry, can you still hear me? I've just moved out into the other room. <laughs> Am I still uh, on? Yeah, did you hear my question? Okay, cool. No, sorry, I didn't. I missed that. I was asking whether or not, um, is this something that, um, whatchamacallit, is something specifically like for application development? So when you're using Sensor Touch, are you looking to port this as a native app on both Android and, and uh, iOS and everything like that? Or um, no, I was actually just looking at the, just the web. Just the um, web side of things. Fair just enough. Just on the web rather than wrapping it in PhoneGap or anything. Yeah. Uh, I, th I think you can, though. If you want to, you can use Sensure Touch to build a mobile app with web technology and then still wrap it into PhoneGap. Because yeah, PhoneGap is pretty, that's... yeah. PhoneGap should be pretty agnostic in terms of what, what library you're going to use to build your web app. What's the framework that Dreamweaver uses now? That's using um, jQuery Mobile as well. Okay. Yeah, I think so. They use jQuery Mobile, and they also do something together with the PhoneGap guys, I think. Has anyone used that yet at all? I fired up a project quickly over the weekend just to test it out um, after I saw a demo presentation, but that's as far as I've gotten. It runs in the simulator quite nicely. Um, so, yeah, it works. So, in theory, it goes well on a phone. <laughs> yes, in theory. <laughs> So that's interesting. I mean, we, we've talked a lot about developing mobile apps with web technology now. You know, either running in the browser or packaging them as like a native app. What do people think about building Flash and Flex apps for mobiles? Has anyone played with that so far? Good question. I haven't. And by mobiles, you mean not iPhone? Well, I mean, you can build, you know, you can write a Flash or Flex app and then deploy it to the iPhone as a native app. Oh, okay. That's, yeah. you know, perfectly possible. Obviously, you know, the Flash movie wouldn't run in the browser, but I'm just wondering if anyone has played with it and what your guys' opinions are, potentially, if you have. I, I played haven't. very, very briefly with uh, building an app for, uh, in Flex for the iPhone. And it did run, but it was quite laggy at the time. But that was a pre-release, so I imagine it's a lot better now. Okay. 
So if you're going to write a mobile app that was sent mostly for, for data retrieval back and forward, does it make sense to build a, a or a device application versus a web application? If you're mostly data, you get, if most of the traffic is data back and forward, would it just be better to build a web app and deploy it like that? I think it's, you know, from my point of view, it's hard to say. It really depends on the individual case. And from what I can see, it massively depends on, you know, which features you want to use and what your, you know, money-making scheme is behind the mobile app as well, obviously. Yeah. If you, you know, if you, let's say, let's say you are a whatever commercial entity and you build an app for your users to actually make it easier for them to get into business with you. I don't know, you know, you could build a nice mobile website or you could build an app. But obviously if you want to make, create some revenue from actually building an app and selling that app to other people, um, then probably going through an app store is potentially easier because you have like payment and deployment mechanisms and all that stuff set up and sorted without having to deal with it yourself. Um, that's some sort of one of the criteria I personally apply when I see stuff like that. Like, you know, how do you make money? Is it your service you're offering that's online as available as well and you have payment mechanisms and then you just give people another channel or avenue to come into that service? Mobile website or app could work well, but if it's like something that is just an app, and you want to make money from people who use it and buy it, yeah, you have to pretty much sell it through one of the app stores like Google Marketplace or um, iTunes Store, I guess. Yep. I suppose it also becomes a question of discovery as well. The app stores probably are easier to find that stuff while it may necessarily be sort of a wrapped up web app. I mean, Google Docs is pretty much their, their web app wrapped up into a shortcut. But it's nice having the shortcut in your application list and running that way. Though yeah. the flip side is also, you know, if you've just got a web app, web app and it works as a web app, um, there's very little you have to do in terms of approval process, especially if you're looking at the whole Apple ecosystem and stuff like that. That um, is totally true. I mean, that's really a big case for frameworks like Sensor or um, jQuery Mobile and stuff because the, your deployment is so easy from that point of view. And yeah. you can just make the decision on how to change the app and what to do and, you know, what not to do yourself without anyone being able to interfere on that end, I guess. Yeah. Um, um, oh, sorry to interrupt, Kai. Um, just uh, with ourselves, we actually um, recently did a, a mobile site using um, jQuery uh, mobile and I guess part of the, the um, process we went through was, was wanting something to be cross-platform and, you know, with limited resources that, that we had in terms of developers and and pushing out a mobile app sort of made sense um, in, in those that regards because it's sort of right once you can run it on Android, you can run it on iPhone, um, and uh, and it does sort of degrade nicely onto to other devices as well. Yeah, that is sort of true, but I mean that's something you can achieve with um, you know like Flash and Flex for mobile as well if you want to. You mm -hmm. pretty much write it once in Flex and then you cross-compile it pretty much to an iPhone app or to an Air app for Android, for example, or, you know, to the RIM playbook, even though I'm sometimes wondering how long the company RIM is going to be around in the future, but that's a definitely different story. Hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, so that will see how that goes. But yeah. let me just come back quickly to that Flash and Flex topic, because Tanya said when she played with that, with building a mobile app, even in the pre-release, 
my impression was it was quite leggy and slow. Um, can you remember what you tried to build, Tanya? I was just interested in you know what what field of UI component or UI element you appeared that legginess. Um, what did I try? Uh, it was just actually mostly most of the testing was for the services side of things. Um, we had what do we put in just a list and also a a little image to drag around to see how the mm -hmm. dragging was. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't too bad, but it was noticeable. Yeah, that's interesting because I have made exactly the same experience. I've mm -hmm. built a little mini, you know, Twitter, personalized Twitter app basically for someone recently and used Flex for that. And my impression is particularly the list views when you have a list of stuff where you would use your, you know, your finger to scroll through that list that is noticeably slower, at least on the iPhone, than um, you know, building something with native iOS or even with you know, like PhoneGap and using a pretty much nicely iPhone-like styled web page for exactly the same purpose. And that's something I found really interesting. And you know, I'm not quite sure what Adobe is doing about that in terms of putting more effort into performance improvements on the mobile flex end. Yeah, well, I've seen videos, recordings of apps that they've made that are a lot smoother, but that wasn't my experience a couple of months earlier. Mm, okay. um, the other thing, the other thing which I noticed immediately was the file size overhead because I think it was about four megabytes for a Hello World sort of thing. Ouch. Um, so there's definitely that to keep in mind with a 10 meg limit on downloading apps over 3G. Yeah, that's a very, very good point, actually. I think... I mean, I would hope that we see improvements on that end in the future when, you know, that iPhone packager thing gets a little bit uh, more love and gets further improvements because it was on hiatus for pretty much like six or seven months during the last year when that whole Apple flash thing happened and came down pretty much. So I think, you know, not that much work went into that. Um, on the other hand, I've recently also did some work with a game development company um, and they have developed in the past flash games for the browser and they wanted to have a look into um, converting those flash games for iPhone or iOS and Android devices. And to be honest, you know, at the end of the day, it was um, reasonably well performing after a while, but those games were not using flex, but pretty much purely action script. And I think that seems to make a this seems to be a bit of a difference. If you have an action script code base and not using the flex components, that seems to be much, much better performing for the end user in terms of frame rate and smoothness of the of the UI. I must say that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. I'm um yeah, me neither to be honest, but you know, that's just what it is basically. Cool. Um, AJ Diker, Mr. Diker had a had a comment. Sorry, I'm just going to interrupt you. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, actually, at the last uh, Adobe Platform User Group meeting in Sydney, which was held last month, we actually had Paul Burnett from Adobe come and do a presentation, and he was talking about de uh, developing mobile applications with the Flash Platform's newest tools. Um, and yeah, he was demonstrating 
flash professional and doing the deployment to playbook android tablets ipad iphone mm-hmm. um and all those sorts of things and the it looks like from the demos that he was giving that the latest performance improvements they've had have been really significant which is like he had actually had a demo app that apparently he wishes he never wrote um, because he just ends up having to drag it out every time to show people. Um, but basically the performance comparison between, like it was actually like a, basically like a little driving simulator and it was as performant on an iPad, for example, as it was on his laptop. And it was a Flash application that he'd written. Um, so yeah, I think... in the latest releases, they've really made a lot of improvements by the looks of it. It was a really, really basic game, though, as well. It was only moving, like, three objects on the screen or something, which True. is yeah. cool, and a lot of games <laughs> are basic, and it will work for those. But um, anything more complex, I'm not sure you'd really want to risk building your code base on that platform and then running into issues later on. Yeah, certainly. Um, but the, certainly from the, the way that um, he was saying the performance used, or the lack of performance that there used to be, um, when it was running on, on the iOS devices and even on the Android, um, there's been significant improvements. So it would be interesting to see with the latest batch of tools to yeah. see how the code bases you've got run. He, he showed us the same set of uh, devices and uh, uh, deployed okay. that game across a couple of weeks ago when he was in New Zealand. And yep. um, I agree, it looked really cool. And the way that you can deploy to all those devices works really well. And that's what Flash has sort of always been best at. But... Um, we'll just have to wait and see if the speed improvements can really keep up with platforms. With a real-world scenario. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think the other thing to be aware of, um, when you try to run Flash-based games on iPhone or on Android devices, you really notice quite significant differences in the device, or on, depending on the device itself. So on an iPad 2, it, everything pretty much runs really fast. But if you put the same thing on iPad 1, um, you'll notice a, quite a big difference. You know, it can be the same game, 20 frames per second on an iPad um, iPad 2, about 8 to 10 frames per second on an iPad 1. And I've seen, you know, those quite extreme differences in, in speed. And you also find the iPad, uh, the iPad 1 performs very, very similar to the speed of an iPhone 4. That's also quite comparable. And on iPhone 3 or iPhone 3G, you'd rather not try it, really. It's quite pointless. Okay. All right, so let's let's move along down the list. Uh, Tanya, do you need to run off yet, or you can stay with us and grace us with your presence a little while longer? I've actually already run away to the other room, but I just didn't leave the call because uh, it's quite enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I'm so glad that you can stay with us. Okay, so Mr. Diker, I'm pronouncing your last name right, aren't I? Yes, you are. Okay, just making completely sure that I didn't mess something up horribly. It's too um, late anyway. <laughs> I can always correct it. Yeah. Um, I believe you are going to be talking about open source CFML development and deployment in the cloud. Do you want to give us a quick rundown of exactly what you're going to be talking about? Indeed. Uh Basically, a lot of what my job is now, I've sort of been stepping away from um, using Eclipse and having to do um, actual coding work, and now I'm going into a bit more of a server management and deployment role. And while at Learnocity, where I'm working at the moment, we're actually um, starting to deploy some of our products to Amazon. Um, Some of the other freelance work I've been doing, I've actually um, moved basically my previous... Uh, rack-mounted um, 1U server. We've 
abandoned that and we've moved everything to ninefold and yeah just doing a pay by the month if we need more servers we turn them on sort of environment um which is turning out to be yeah working out really well for us in terms of speed and availability um but basically with everything that i've had to do in the last probably six months since we've been looking at various aspects of deployment and everything i thought it'd be a good opportunity to be able to sort of share my experiences in terms of going well okay here's a new server we'll install tomcat install apache install Raylo, um, because those are all really easy and straightforward install an svn server do all the set up all the correct port forwards for it and and yeah basically set up a full one-stop shop server um, that sort of takes care of all your development needs um, and then going to the next step beyond that and actually having the um, basically deployment scripts that you can use that will check out your latest code from version control, deploy it to your sites. And I've also got a couple of tricks with actually configuring Apache um, so that you don't need to go through and... Um, oh, people are typing in the messages. And yeah, so you don't need to go through and create separate vhosts for Apache while you still need to do that with Tomcat to a degree, um, at least being able to eliminate it from the Apache level is a good start. So yeah, I just thought I'd be able to bundle everything all together. In my mind, it will take less than an hour to do everything, but I honestly haven't actually gone through and timed it yet. So it will be interesting to see how it goes. So I see there that uh, you're using Ninefold. That's a, I assume that's a, uh, that's a cloud uh, a cloud system of some kind, very much like Amazon Web Services or something like that. Yeah, Ninefold, I don't have a lot of history about them because they're actually very new. Um, I started seeing them pop up, um, sponsoring user group meetings and various events. They were at WebDU as well. Um, and I think they only sort of opened their doors or opened the cloud, part of the hmm. vapor or whatever, <laughs> whatever sort of analogy you want to use, um, in February of this year. Um, so... From what I can tell, their data centers are actually all based out of Macquarie Telecom, so they've got really robust um, internet connections there. I know that I'm, even when I'm at home or in the office, I'm getting probably 20 millisecond pings to their office or to the servers I've got, which is really good. Um, their customer support, if there have been any config issues or anything I needed help with, has been absolutely first rate. Um, so, yeah, they've been a really, really good place to start in terms of the whole sort of hosted environment and going into the cloud. Um, so I take it them being in Australia was a reason why you didn't go with, say, like an Amazon EC2 or something like that, or just uh, curious why, why you've gone one over the other? Yeah, well, my well, basically, my business partner and myself, um, we were looking for an Australian provider for whatever technology we ended up using. We were originally looking at data centers to put a brand new physical server um, and then we started looking at going, well, okay, what if we actually get to a virtualized environment? And again, we sort of said, okay, well, we'll make the decision. We're already paying X number of dollars to host our physical service. So that's basically our budget for finding um, the virtual service. And yeah, the ninefold service actually came up much cheaper than if we were hosting our own server. Um, we actually ended up getting, we're using micro instances, which is something new that they've introduced, which in on themselves are fairly low powered. Um, but within our budget that we've allocated ourselves, we actually have three micro instances. So we have one with database, one with 
application and one doing DNS and web stuff for us. So, and it's still cheaper than everything else that we've sort of everything else that we've got quotes for. Um, so yeah, and they're Australian. Um, so yeah, why not support the local industry? And we're still in front financially, so everyone's happy. That's quite cool. When you when you had a look at um, using the ninefold environment, and I'm I'm aware that they are quite new. Um, did you have a choice in operating system platform, or did you basically you know have to go with Linux, for example, or could you run Windows on their their environment? Uh, they actually we chose Linux, um, running Ubuntu. 10.4.2, I think, um, which is the... Marcus, <laughs> I was going to ask that question, actually. I was curious to know what Linux level you were running. Yep. Um, and, yeah, so that's the long-term support version, so we'll be on that for a while. Um, but, yeah, they do also offer um, Windows operating systems if you feel so inclined. There's also, depending on which platform you choose, I think there's actually a, a couple of different Linux distros that you can choose from. Um, but Ubuntu was the closest one to my heart, so we went with that. Um, and there's also two different virtual management environments as well. Um, so there's, oh, I can't remember what, remember what they are, but I think, think like there's the VMware one and then there's also a Zen um, environment, depending on which sort of management portal you prefer. Okay. So, yeah, they give you quite a variety of different choices, which is really good. Um, another thing I found interesting when I saw the um, the overview of what you're going to, to talk about was that as a version control system, you're using Subversion. Uh, yeah. So I... I'm not I'm not not yet criticizing that choice. I'm just, <laughs> Wait for it. It's coming. I'm, yeah, I'm just wondering why you made that choice. Is it like for historical reasons because your whole code base is still in subversion and you think about making that move, or is there another motivation behind that why you didn't go with anything like Git or Mercurial? Uh, at the moment, it is because of familiarity and confidence in being able to set it all up and. I already have deployment scripts that I know work. Um, and honestly, I haven't actually had any opportunity up until indeed today when I set up a Git repository um, for the yeah. first time. Yeah. So. Hey, AJ, there's a neat conference in Melbourne about November, and they're running a Git session there you might want to go to. Indeed. I just hope my session doesn't clash. So if I can put requests in... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can have a look into that. Maybe if you talk to Justin and you're very nice and friendly to him, then he might, you know, tweak the 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 schedule generator application a little bit. We seriously have that, by the way. That is not a joke. We have a schedule generator application. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> with three okay, scripts, so, you need it. So with um, Subversion, you say it's familiarity, and I can totally see that. That makes perfect sense to me. Um, I'm, how many developers do you have? Is it just like a business partner and yourself, or are you, do you have a large development team? Um, yeah, basically it's just the two of us doing the freelance work. Um, okay. But then at Learnosity, we've got probably, I think, eight people or ten people with version control access who mm -hmm. um, are all doing commits. And, yeah, it's only actually today that we got the green light to start one of our projects on GitHub. Um, so we've signed up with them with a um, enterprise account, I think. 
or whichever one, the, whichever one allows us to have private repositories. Yeah, the commercial uh, one. We've got yeah. one of those. And yeah, we're giving that a try with one of our brand new projects that we've started off. So cool, very interesting. Um, again, just curious, did you have a look into using Mercurial when you made that step to you know trying out something new, or was it pretty clear that if you leave Subversion, you want to have a look into Git? Well, as far as Git went today, I was told that was the outcome. <laughs> so I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't present for the conversation where that decision was made. Um, certainly, we've looked. We started looking probably about six months ago into different version control alternatives, just out of curiosity. And at that point, from my perspective, it seemed like uh, Mercurial was a little bit closer to S uh, to Subversion. Um, mm -hmm. And that's sort of the general direction we were leaning in. We did a bit of reading up on it and just a bit of general investigation, but we never actually got as far as setting up um, a Mercurial repository at mm, all. Okay. So, but yeah, it's something we've looked into, but apparently we're going with Git. So, yeah, Fair enough. You know, both valid and good choices, I think. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. And who knows with working on this new project, I need to write the deployment scripts and everything for it. So I may well, depending on how time goes, I could even throw in a Git repository as well and do deployments. Yeah. yeah. So, um, deploying from Git's not hard. You'll be right. Just a quick question. Tanya, are you still around, actually? I, I am still around. Oh, cool. Um, at one of your last jobs, you at some stage made a move from Subversion to Git as well, right, as a company. No, we didn't make a move. Uh, we had a client who was on Git, so we were using Git and SVN in parallel for different projects. Ah, okay. Um, developers who used to work with Subversion before and then, you know, maybe had to use Git for that for that particular project, um, how did they find the the move? I think for us it was completely fine because we were uh, we're all Windows based there, and so we just had the Tortoise plugin, and we had. Um, using Eclipse, so we had the Eclipse plugin as well, and so everything was done through UI rather than command line, and everyone was fine with it. We didn't so do any basically... advanced stuff either. We didn't have any... We had very basic branching, um, but beyond that, we didn't really take advantage of Git and what it offered over SVN. Okay, so it was basically a move from using uh, Tortoise for Subversion to Tortoise for Git or something like that. Yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah. Had How a lot more potential than what we used it for, unfortunately. How many people here? What, what version controls everyone using, uh, Mr. Mercer? What do you What do you want at the moment? What are you running with mostly? Uh, at work, so um, still on Subversion, but like all the open source projects, they're all mostly Git based now. So a bit of yeah. both. Uh, I've forgotten everyone's last name. Ah, how embarrassing, Mr. Dyker. Mr. Dyker, how about yourself? What are you What are you running with these days? Yeah, we're just using um, Subversion at work. Using self cost. Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, wrong person. To me, Andrews. This is Mr. Myers, is what I meant. <laughs> yeah, we're in a similar situation. We're on um, Subversion. Um, we have all our cold fusion, Java, and um, other coding. Um, Subversion. Uh, I've dabbled in Mercurial and Git a little bit on some of my sort of personal projects. Um, so, but uh, at work, it's all subversion. And if anyone's listened to the podcast before, I know Kai. Kai loves his Mercurial. I'm a huge Git fan. Mercurial is awesome. And I, but I also use Git. It's not that I don't use Git, right? I mean, you know, I 
download stuff from Git, and I have even a few repositories on Git, basically. Um, but Mercurial is, for a variety of reasons, my favorite among the distributed version control systems. One of these days, I'll have to get you to sit me down and show me exactly why you think this thing's the bee's knees. I can do that anytime you want, Mark. I know I won't probably convince you, but at least you might get a bit of, you know, a few new inspiring ideas why Mercurial can be better in some instances. It can be more useful. Possible. It's possible. Yeah. It's possible. Okay, so let's move this along as well. Uh, another another AJ, we have two of them, or Andrew Mercer. You are wanting to talk about REST web services. Give us a yeah. So like most developers, I've got my website up and wanted a bit of AJAX action action in there. So throwing in some jQuery and um, hit my ColdFusion server and return some XML or some JSON. And I'm thinking like I need a, a nice way to deliver that. And everyone seems to be going like the restful over SOAP. So I was thinking oh, I'm going to look into that side of thing. And as I dug into it, I found out it's more than just delivering XML or JSON. It's more than just pretty URLs. And a lot of people that delivering these APIs that call them REST aren't really REST. And there's, there's this term called um, POX, plain old XML. So I've been digging into that and thinking that this could be useful things sort of information to share around. And there's a number of libraries out there in the ColdFusion world, a number of plugins. So I'll be showing off Taffy, uh, perhaps CF Commons. There's plugins for various frameworks like uh, Cold Route for Wheels. There's Relax for Coldbox, and um, the Framework 1, version 2, has now got routing in it, and that supports methods, so I'll take a look at that and see if that will be useful for delivering services. The The other side of it is um, on your previous podcast, we had Elliot from Google come in, and he started talking about AngularJS. And I've, I've seen Lachlan Hardy do Backbone. Actually, I've seen him do it twice and the second time it sort of sunk in a bit more. But the idea from that is we've been throwing um, jQuery all over our um, web applications and it's become real spaghetti code. We've taken a lot of pride now, our server side things using frameworks. Now there's these JavaScript libraries popping up to do the same thing in the browser. So um, this AngularJS, this one's grabbed my attention. It's, um, it's they claim so there's a little byline is what HTML would have been if it was designed by designed for web apps, and it's um, so it's a model uh, control view sort of architecture. It's got built-in testing, two-way binding. It's it's really fun to play with. So for my presentation, I'm going to sort of start off with a little um, probably an Angular sort of application and show. The interactions you have there to, to building a, an application with this single page sort of architecture. This is the sort of thing that jQuery Mobile is doing for their mobile applications. It's got, so you just hit, essentially hit a one page, the index.html, and then just keep pulling in extra pages. So if you've been to places like um, like Twitter, you'll see this hash bang type URL appear, and that's a it's just dynamically pulling in content. And this is something that the uh, Angular JS does really well. And the next version is going to um, support the proper full history API from HTML5. So you'll lose this hash bang, keep your full, U um, full URLs working. So I hope that should be out in time for the presentation. 
And so then um, looking at the cold fusion sort of side, I want to just go through what the RESTful service is and more particularly like what it's not. You'll find plenty of people telling you you're doing it wrong, but I found it really hard to find what is correct. And the stuff that is correct is really theoretical and real nuts and bolts stuff. It's, it's pretty full on. So I'll go through the basic sort of levels of what makes up a RESTful sort of service and how well the, the current plugins and frameworks comply to that. So that's, that's sort of the guts of it. So it's sort of a two-prong attack, the um, front end and also the back end. That sounds pretty interesting. Um, what sort of common mistakes are you finding that people are generally making? I mean, not, not to dig too deep into your presentation, yeah. but just to just to touch on sort of like one, yeah. maybe one mistake that people often make when they're doing REST, REST services. Yeah, I think the, the common thing is a misconception with um, an application's got REST style. So if you go um, product slash one, you can have a look at the that product, and they go slash edit, and a, a form will appear. But that's so you got a nice URL, and but that's not that's not a RESTful Air service. It's a form that that's posts back normally. So the other thing is big thing about uh, the RESTful service is the use of verbs. So the the method HTML developers will be used to um, the get and the put, the URL and the, and the form posting. But the, the full HTML spec also has delete and put, and there's a whole lot more, including options and head, that the um, the RESTful service make response or make use of. The other side is the uh, response. You say what you actually want. So you say um, you, you do your, uh, your, um, your your form submit. What do you get back? And you can say it's going to be JavaScript. It's going to be XML. It could be a PDF. Um, a lot of like the frameworks like Coldbox, you can have this thing. If you if you just go dot PDF at the end, you'll get your PDF back. If you go dot XLS, you'll get a spreadsheet back. That's sort of fudging what it, it's doing. Uh, the next level down, the, the, the main sort of thing that gets skipped over is this hypertext as the engine of application state. And basically, that's an analogy of that is when you go to a website, you hit up Mark's website, and there's a blank page, you don't so I want to send a message to Mark. You don't have to guess what his contact page is, like slash contact us or something. You'll have a menu option there. So you don't have to remember everything. You just click the menu. The same thing happens in a RESTful service or should happen in a RESTful service. That packet that comes back should have a list of links and options that you can perform to move forward from there. So if you go slash product, there'll be an option to say, you'll return the list of them. For each one of those lists, there's a um, get info, there's a create, uh, there's a delete sort of thing. They're all in the packet that's returned. So it sort of self-documents itself rather than the um, sort of SOAP thing where you get this massive documentation about everything and you, you work your way through it. So yeah, that's the sort of main sort of steps of it. Okay, that's really interesting. That's like sort of you, you're making your call to this REST web service, but you're getting back almost like the navigation of a website. You're getting back the yeah. catalogue of stuff that yeah. you could otherwise you yeah. know, play around so, with. Yeah, so there's an HTML verb that's used called options. So if you say um, slash products and you instead of doing your get, you do options, it would come back and say oh, you can do a create, you can do a delete, you can do all these things. 
and the the head sort of tells you what it accepts like you can send in uh, XML you can send in JSON or if you're going with XML and you've defined your own schema you can put that as your MIME type be very spe specific well, that sounds like a, a pretty pretty interesting uh, presentation if people are, are looking to build more more remote APIs and APIs yeah. that expose stuff in their in their products yeah, I have to agree with, with what AJ was saying there. Most people don't build proper REST services. It, REST is like pretty much an academic concept, really, in, you know, in terms of where it comes from. I think it was a PhD thesis or um, at least a master's thesis from someone. Martin Fowler? I yeah. I don't know. I think it was probably a PhD no, thesis or something like that, where the REST concept was born from in the first place. And it's a quite, you know, big Field. documentation. Yeah, quite. It, it, it's a quite big book, actually, and quite uh, quite a lot of documentation to read if you really want to understand the whole thing. And, um, I mean, I, I, had, I looked into parts of it, and I don't claim that I, you know, really understand everything around REST, but I've done those talks at WebDU twice where I was um, basically looking at web services. I think one was was 2007 and the other one was 2009 or 2010. And at the end of the day, when you look at REST versus SOAP, really at the end of the day, SOAP is going to you know, be used by huge corporates who have, a, have made a major investment into some SOAP technology stacks. And pretty much anyone else is using REST because it's um, more flexible, it adheres to easy, usable open standards, and all sorts of websites and third-party websites support it. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds pretty cool. It's Roy Fielding. It's the guy that first came up with this concept. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a standard. It's not a framework. It's sort of, you know, it's like a concept. It's almost like a methodology in its sort of, in sort of you know, guidelines and, and recommendations on how to do things, whereas yeah. obviously SOAP, SOAP and, and WSDL and all that sort of stuff, that's, that's really about, you know, this is the contract, this is what you have to do. If you don't do it this way, then it doesn't work, which quite often happens in, in that sort of space as well, as, as Kai's done multiple presentations on. But the thing is, you know, even REST is also a contract. I would disagree with saying that you have to use SOAP to have some sort of a contract between two endpoints. With REST, you do have a contract between two endpoints. You just express it differently. That's true. I mean, there's yeah. no, but there's no, um, for example, if you don't, if you don't, uh, how do I put this? If you don't have a SOAP document or a WSDL document in a certain format that web services require, then you can't like interact with that web service. It doesn't happen. With a REST web service, I mean, it could be returning XML, it could be returning JSON, it could be returning half a dozen different data formats. It's still technically a REST web service. It's just the format. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, sort of, that's sort of what I meant. Okay. As much as we'd love everyone to return JSON most of the time. I that's an interesting it. question, actually. Do What do other people think? When you return data from a server or when you, let's say, in the case of a front-end or Flash or Flex developer, when you want to consume data coming from a server, um, would you prefer XML or JSON data nowadays? That's a question. JSON. I'm really? building some right now as I listen to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, interesting. Why? Any particular reason? Do you think it's just a, a nicer format or is there it's a particular... lighter. It's lighter mm -hmm. and it's cleaner. And it 
can be consumed also very easily by JavaScript if you end up doing a web app to go with it. Um, it's just so much more portable. Everything, you know, everything supports it. Yeah, I would personally agree with that. It's so much easier to build and consume. I find I mean, myself yeah. using more and more JSON over XML it, as well. It's the far more human readable as well. So you've got JavaScript frameworks like um, jQuery that can process XML and JSON and Cold Fusion the same. We've got functions that convert in both ways. So the, the tools are there yeah. to take the pain out of it. So what about um, what about WDDX? Can you remember that? <laughs> I love WDDX. Me too. WDDX is basically is basically the JSON idea in in XML yeah. format, pretty much. They're way ahead of the time. Yeah, totally. I but I think that's what like WDDX JSON. That was that's why I think people liked it. The annoying thing about XML is, you know, you send someone an XML packet, you've got to take your data and convert it into the XML packet format that they want. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas something like WDX and JSON very similar, you just kind of run into the function and it comes out in the function in the format that they want it in. And in the reverse is also true. You know, when data comes in as an XML packet, you have to parse it. Like it's easy to do with CF, but you still come back with this weird structure that you then have to turn into some other data format with JSON. That's so much easier. It just makes life so much simpler. Yep. Um, so just an extra step. Okay, um, last but most definitely not least, um, Mr. Myers, uh, our first time presenter at CF Objective. Is this first time presenter anywhere, user group? Yes, it is, yeah. Have you, have you done some user group presentations at all? No, no. So uh, it's uh, a whole new experience for me. Um, but uh, yeah, I uh, hope to uh, give a good overview um, of Neuro and Neuro plugins for the, for the um, participants in the People are coming to see up objective. Can you maybe quickly explain what Mura is for you know the, the the guys out there who might not know the product? Yeah, sure. Um, Mura is an open source um, content management system um, written in Cold Fusion. It's uh, it's GPL licensed um, and it's uh, developed by Blue River Software in uh, California, I believe. Um, it started its life known as Sava CMS. I don't know if uh, anyone's familiar with that, but uh, more recently changed its name to, to Mira. Um, it's very full featured. It's um, it's extensible via plugins. Um, runs on um, Adobe Cold Fusion. Definitely runs on eight and nine um, and Rilo as well. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's very uh, user friendly for both um, content editors and also for developers who want to extend it via the plugin system, which is uh, what I'll be talking about. Okay, interesting. So um, basically, I would expect a Mura plugin to be something like I don't know, maybe a gallery system or a blog module. Or a I don't know forum system is that how, what we what we would understand to be a custom plugin or to be possibly a custom plugin? Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, um, a lot of those um, things are part of the Mira CMS, but um, there's definitely forum plugins. That's that's a great example of a of a plugin that um, that can be loaded into it. Um, there's things like uh, social media plugins which can um, bring integration with, with the various um, social media and, and we use it 
in-house uh, plugins to um, put custom um, functionality into it. So different content blocks which report from database um, tables uh, and uh, things like feedback blocks. Um, yeah, basically you uh, develop it, you can plug it into Mirror and, and the beauty of the plugin system is that um, you can pretty much write your plugin how you want to. Um, there's uh, the, the plugins that I'll be demonstrating will be using Framework 1, Sean Caulfield's Framework 1, which integrates nicely with uh, with uh, Mirror. Um, I've also done some in Model Glue in the past. Uh, so it's really quite flexible as to, to how you write um, your backend app application and you can hook it into to Mirror via the API that they provide. Okay, that sounds quite cool, actually. Do you know how many people out there are using Mura for their websites? Are there any statistics? Is it like a super, you know, heavily used system, or is it reasonably new? I haven't uh, seen any uh, any actual statistics on it, but there is uh, a list on on the Mura website of of who uses it, and it's quite an impressive um, list of organisations. There includes people like AT&T, Intel, Amtrak mm -hmm. California, um, Michigan State University. Uh, so it's uh, it's uh, Apple's actually listed there as a user as well. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it, it does seem to have quite a bit of traction. Um, I personally haven't come across a lot of other um, people who use it themselves, but uh, I do know that the CF Eclipse project uses it on their website, and, and I have come across um, quite a few other open source cold fusion um, projects that seem to use it to uh, to deliver their websites with as well. Okay. So, of course, so, the, uh, the tough question, being Australian especially, how come not Far Cry? Yeah, look, that's actually a really good question. Um, <laughs> when we first started looking at CMSs, uh, I did look at Far Cry, and um, I tossed around a couple options with um with my colleagues mirror was one of them and um they just got their hands dirty with mirror and, and seemed to be able to uh to find their way through it quite easily so um it was a, a decision that was taken by a group of us not to uh you know not, not to dismiss far cry i think it's a great product as well but mirror just seemed a good fit for what we we're doing and the, and the people we we're working with can we roll out the death cage and get Andrew and Jeff in there and battle out the CMSs? <laughs> I think that's reasonable. Um, yeah. We were discussing on list uh, jelly wrestling, but uh, I think we can definitely do that as well. <laughs> Might be an interesting boff session. I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, I guess in my talk, um, there's uh, you know a few things that I, that I want to go through. One of the things is just like um, tips that I've I've learned developing. Um, Mirror plugins, as far as your development workflow goes, how to um, hook it into um, to Cold Fusion Builder and, and sort of deploy your changes as, as you go. Um, yeah, things like that. Just just a few little um, things that I've come across that aren't really that well documented that uh, people might find useful when they uh, they dig into um, to plugins for Mirror. All right, that sounds that sounds pretty pretty interesting as well. The uh, extension mechanism for Mira sounds particularly interesting. I'm quite interested to come see how that works. 
Yeah, hey, so um, it's quite a, a uh, an elegant API that they have. You um, you can basically hook in existing applications. I wouldn't say easily, but um, you know, quite hmm. elegantly, and uh, and then you can you know wrap your application in the the mirror templates when when you present them on on the screen. It's it's quite nice. Uh, Mr. Mercer, who had a comment. Yes, yeah, so AJ and I were just discussing the, the admin for Mirror. What's that yes. written? Yes, it, it is written in uh, in Framework One. Um, they, when I first started using it, it was written in Fusebox. Fusebox, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Um, and they, on a more recent release, uh, it might be sort of six or twelve months ago now, they they moved to to Framework One. So this is interesting. So. Mirror doesn't really give you. Mirror really isn't sort of like an MVC architecture in and of itself. It seems to. It sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, more of a set of sort of components and utilities that help build out the CMS that you can then integrate into whatever MVC framework or set of frameworks that you're working with together. Is that is that sort of correct or? Yeah, I would say that is correct. Um, so the plugins can can use. You know, they can be as, as simple or as complex as, as you want them to be. I guess you could, you can use a separate MVC framework with it. Um, yeah, Mira doesn't really um, have an, an MVC framework as part of it. Um, you can create, you know, um, quite, quite a bit of functionality through the wizards in there. Um, you can create custom um, page types and things like that, but when it when it goes to, to delivering more complex functionality to break out into the plugins is definitely the uh, the best way to do it as far as I've um, as I I've found out. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, now as a curiosity, obviously you're saying you know you look at you've you've got some frameworks. Sorry, you've got some plugins there that work with Framework 1, you've got some plugins there that work with Model Glue. Is there a risk there in that, you know, if you're deploying a Mirror site and you want to use a bunch of library assets, you've got like Cobox installed and Framework 1 and Model Glue and, you know, this, that and the other to get everything running together or is that just kind of the way it kind of works and that's just something you have to take, a, you know, kind of look at? Yeah, I haven't really run into any of those issues. Um, I've found, um, yeah, your plugins tend to, Sort of run in their own space, I guess. Um, the the plugin um, when when you hook it, there's um, a, a plugin uh, component that you have to fill. It's got a number of um, event methods, such as there's an on application load for your plugin and an on request for your plugin and that kind of thing. And it, the more or less passes off to your your plugin, but you do still have access to um, all the mirror variables and. Uh, so, so you can get some tight integration there. Um, but yeah, I haven't found them sort of tripping over each other or anything like that. So it does seem quite flexible. Okay. Yeah. It's be interesting. We're one of the first times I've actually probably going to have a look at Mira, which I've been meaning to do for a while. So keen yeah. to come to come see you talk, possibly heckle a little, give it a bit. Of a... <laughs> does yeah, Mira have an ORM like Far Cry does? No, it doesn't. Um, yeah, I guess the the closest you can come to it is you can sort of create your own like a page type in there, um, but but definitely doesn't come with it with an an ORM. Um, I, I'm not that familiar with Far Cry's ORM to be to be honest, but I haven't come across that concept in Europe. 
it sounds it sounds to me and again I've I've very vaguely looked at Far Cry and very vaguely looked at Mirror. Um, it sounds like Far Cry. I mean, it seems to be more of an an overall application development uh, environment, so to speak. Yeah, it's pi- it's pitched as a framework. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. 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 it's almost almost very easy, very Django and that sort of that sort of idea of you know we, we're going to give you everything in one big package and you stick to the way we do stuff and everything works beautifully. Whereas Mirror seems to be a bit more sort of like We've prepackaged some stuff up, but at the end of the day, it's kind of some tools and some libraries and components that you can hook together in any way you kind of choose to do, which gives you a bit more flexibility, but, you know, pros and cons both ways. And then, so then you can extend that out in any number of ways as well. So slightly different sort of goals. Yeah, I think that, that's a fair, a fair overview of it. Um, yeah, uh, it uh, supports um, most of the major databases, uh, MySQL, SQL Server. We actually run on Oracle ourselves, um, but it's um yeah it's completely open source. Um, runs on Rilo quite nicely, um, as well as Adobe Cold Fusion eight and above. So very 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 cool. Yeah, you know it has uh, quite a nice community um, surrounding it as well, which was one of the um, the attractions to it, um, there's pretty active forums um, on the, the Mira site, and there's commercial support available as well if you require it. So let me just ask you one one question on that, on the licensing side of things. When you write plugins or extensions for Mura, you wouldn't have to make them available under GPL though, right? Because um, right. it's not part of the product or not a change to the product as such. It's basically that linkage clause that you'll um, basically that get you out of the requirement to make your codes available as GPL yourself. Yeah, that's correct. Um, that was definitely one of the things that we had to check out before we went too far down the track with it. There's an exception in the in the license that basically allows you to um, write your own plugins for for Mura um, without them having to be GPL. Um, it's it's okay. I can't remember the exact wording of it, but it is in the license. Um, it's just quite. Uh, clearly spelled out that uh, yeah, um, you don't have to GPL your own code to run it as a plugin on on Mira. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. that's that's really good. Thank you. Uh, I just think we'll, we'll probably wrap things up there. As this guy does need to get his beauty rest, but uh, <laughs> I want to thank thank the four of you for for coming and chatting with us today. Um, I'm really excited to to see you all talk, and I'm actually hoping I can catch all of you talk. Um, these sound like really interesting topics, so. I think that's that's really really cool. Um, if anyone's actually interested in following all these people and all our speakers on Twitter, um, there is a CF Objective speaker list on the Twitter Twitter page for CF Objective, which is CF Objective underscore A and Z. Um, and obviously, quick plug to the conference, which is the 17th and 18th of November. Uh, early bird runs out at the end of this month, so please get in soon. And we're actually running awesome workshops on the day before, on the 16th of November. Do you want to give them a quick rundown of the workshops, Kai? Oh, you're, you're, to, you're doing one? I need to actually bring up the webpage quickly to um, get a complete list of all the workshops. So um, I can happily talk about mine when I'm doing that. Oh, no, I'll start with the other ones. So we've got um, James Talbot who is actually a quite well-known um, trainer and consultant working for Adobe. And who's going to do, he's going to do a, um, a full-day workshop on building mobile applications for Android and iOS using Flex. 
So that's going to be quite interesting. I'm pretty sure he can um, answer a lot of those questions on performance, um, you know, using flex components on mobile devices in particular. Then we've got Michael Labrolia, who we had on the podcast before, yep. um, a few months ago. And he's um, doing a full-day workshop on developing performant flex components for desktop and mobile. And that's basically um, pretty much digging in inside of the guts of the flex component framework. So that would be very interesting because he knows it probably better than some of the Adobe engineers, I would assume, personally. Um, then we've got Mike Hankey. That's how his last name is spelled, I guess. I, I think that's right. Um, and he's doing a workshop on introducing called Fusion on Wheels and CF on Wheels as I think a quite well-known framework for um, CFML development should work on should work fine on Adobe called Fusion and on um, on Rilo or any other reasonably modern CFML server, um, which I think will be very very interesting as well. And then finally, um, I'm going to do a workshop together with my colleague and friend Sandy Mamouli. Um, Sandy is an agile consultant and particularly Scrum um, consultant and Scrum um, trainer here in New Zealand. And we are going to talk about agile technical practices for real confusion developers. And the idea of that is we don't want to do an agile workshop and we don't want to do a unit test workshop, but we're going to pick some core agile ideas when you want to develop agile or when you want to run projects agile and we'll have a look at what the technical implications of those certain agile practices will be and how you can implement those practices you know with confusion with flash and flex with javascript and the tool set around those technologies and I'll, I'll throw in one one final plug as well there on the CF objective side. Um, I think it's nine more days until our student ticket competition closes. Um, if anyone is under 25 years old, uh, have a valid student identification, either an Australian or New Zealand residence, and can write some words under 200, um, you should send us an email letting us know why you should come to our talk, our, our conference on uh, with free flights, accommodation, and ticket. Our wonderful sponsor, Fast City, is sponsoring this competition. It's a pretty good opportunity for a student to come down and learn about some pretty amazing technologies from some pretty smart people who have done some cool stuff in the industry. So. Yeah, I'm actually um, I'm currently teaching here in Auckland at Auckland um, University of Technology this week, and I need to actually you know, get some of the students there motivated to sort something out. Yes, because writing 200 words is not really too hard. No. No, I don't think it is, but uh, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, and uh, AJ's posting me a message now, and I think he's completely correct. If you are coming to the conference, make sure to get your hotel booked as soon as possible. Uh, unfortunately, we're on at exactly the same time as the President's Cup, which I believe is some sort of golf tournament that I've been told is very important, um, which means that uh, the hotel is already at 50% capacity. That was the last time I spoke to them, which was several weeks ago. So make sure you get on that as soon as possible. You don't want to be stuck somewhere else. The first year we put on the conference, Tiger Woods and Britney Spears in town the same day? Yep. Yeah, there's always something on. We always manage to coincide with something. I don't know what there was last year. There was a bunch of construction. No, first year it was construction work outside the window. But yeah, I think last year was Britney Spears or the year before. It was. There's always something. You know, you know, we could just move the conference to another country for one year and to get out of Melbourne, which is always so busy and it's so expensive and everything. I don't see that happening, but that's okay. You, you can keep dreaming, Nika. 
Um, I, I keep trying. You, know, I'm you not do. Up. <laughs> you keep trying to move it to New Zealand. Uh, Darren Tracy keeps trying to move it to Brisbane. You know, I understand these things. But, uh, yeah, Sydney Melbourne... This time of year as well. I'm still angling for a conference in uh, Alice Springs. Equally inconvenient, <laughs> equally inconvenient for everyone. Just do it in Darwin. Let's do it in Darwin one year, just because... Oh, that sounds great. Okay, so uh, in reverse order of what we were talking about, just because I feel like it, um, if any of you guys, uh, Andrew Myers, want to share any Twitter details, website details, email details, if people want to talk to you, chat to you, or otherwise annoy you in any way, shape, or form? Yeah, for sure. Um, so on Twitter, um, on AM, A for Andrew, M for Myers, 2605, um, or email Andrew at abm.id.au, and I hang out on the CF Aussie mailing list quite a bit too um so yeah uh, that's probably the best way to get in touch with me fair enough mr mercer uh, webonics on twitter and andrew at webonics.net for email uh, mr diker uh aj diker on twitter aj.diker at warpacks.com for email and if anyone feels like they want to come and listen to my talk before CF Objective because they can't make it and they better have a pretty good excuse, um, I'm actually giving it at the um, APUG Adobe Product User Group meeting at the end of this month in Sydney. Um, so I'll be giving it a run through, see how the timing goes and everything, and then I'll give it the full run when I get to the conference. Lovely. Tanya, are you still with us? I am still with you. Uh, I'm at Tanya with a Y on Twitter, and that's probably about the only way you'll be able to get hold of me. So <laughs> that's the only one I'll throw out there. Wonderful. Um, if uh, We've all heard it before, but uh, myself, you can reach me at Neurotic on Twitter. I am nine followers away from 1,000. So if you are listening, please follow me so I can be at 1,000 followers. Um, that would make me feel oh, a lot better. Mark. What? What's wrong with that? Hey, look, no, it's, it's, it, it's hard. My wife's got over 6,000. <laughs> And she started yeah, but, like a year or two years ago. But the thing is, you know, your wife is famous and she's doing beautiful things. You do things that work. That's a difference. You know? <laughs> exactly. Beautiful, functional. So you're saying transfer is not beautiful? Apparently not. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think it was uh, the, the major moment. Yeah. Well, no, actually, I lied. My wife is at 7,500 followers on Twitter. Um, oh, my gosh. Uh, uh, com is her website. Um yeah, it was the the defining defining moment was when Tori Spelling starting started following her on Twitter. And we oh. went, oh, Tori Spelling's following you, then you've definitely made it. Um, but yeah, so if I can make at least a thousand, then at least I feel like I I don't necessarily pale in comparison. And obviously, Kai, where can people reach you? Um, people can reach me on Twitter um, via Agent K or via email on Kai at ventigo-creative.co.nz. That's great. Um, have we got any uh, – AJ, you say you want to plug some user groups? Yeah, just, um, just let people know that they're out there. Adobe's got one in each state. User group meetings are like a little conference each week. So get in there, have a look, see if you've got one, and visit. Wonderful. I totally agree with that. Okay, well, everyone, thank you very much for coming and joining us. We really appreciate you uh, taking the time to speak with us and, and, and speak to our listeners. And we, uh, yeah, thanks a lot, guys. It was really enjoyable. And Mark and I always enjoy having people on the podcast. Then we can just like ask annoying questions and don't have to come up with ideas ourselves. Yeah, looking forward yeah. to the conference. Wonderful. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you very much, everyone, and uh, look forward to seeing you all in November. Thank you. Bye now. See you soon, guys. <laughs>